Hey, hey, hey. Hey, again, it's good to have you. Welcome to all of the campuses. I want to welcome those of you who are online. We're so glad you are with us. And uh, we are in part three of a series titled Shoes. Everybody say shoes. And what we're doing is we're jumping into the shoes of uh, folks who had these incredible close encounters with Jesus. And you know, you can always learn a lot when you get in someone else's shoes, right? You can learn what they've been through, um, but you can also learn a lot about yourself and you can also learn a lot about Uh, what in the world? Houston, we have a problem. What in the world? We, we really need security now. What is going on up in this place? <laughs> what's we up? We got a live one. What's, what's, we got a missing astronaut. What's going yeah, on? this is Ryan. We have Blast Off Camp. Blast Off. You've heard about Blast Off, right? Tell yeah. us about it, Peace. Tell yeah. us what's going on. So if you have kiddos ages three through fifth grade, we want them here at the Durham campus. He's not prepared for that. Yeah, yeah, it's right over awesome. your head. Sorry. No, but we want them here um, June 29th. June 29th. 9 a.m. Okay. You have to register. You register today. Tomorrow's the last day. Tomorrow's the last day to register. How many, um, how, all the campuses doing it? All the campuses. Same time, 9 o'clock? Same time. Mm-hmm. Are there friends, like say they got friends in their neighborhood yeah. and they don't go to this church. Are they welcome? Absolutely. We'd love that. All yeah, right. Invite all your friends, all your okay. neighbors, all your teammates, all your classmates, all of them. All right. Tell us about the day. Yeah. So the day will start at 9. We'll come in. We'll have some high energy worship. We'll be super excited. We're okay. going to like probably make a mosh pit right here. Our, like thinking. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I was going for it. I was falling for it. All right. Um, we'll do um, snacks and we'll do crafts and games. We'll have bouncies. Um, most importantly, we'll get to carry out the mission. <laughs> we'll get to carry out the mission of New Hope Church, which is um, to reach people mm. with the good news of Jesus. And so we'll get the chance to um, introduce Jesus to uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. Right. We'll get the opportunity to accept Jesus as their savior. So pray for salvations, church. Lots of salvations yeah. amongst our young people. What's the date? You remember? June 29th. June 29th, 9 o'clock. If you know any kids or you have kids, trust us, you want to have your kids there. Can you give it up for these folks and welcome them? Thank them. Appreciate it. God bless you guys. So glad you're here. That's a very excited astronaut. As I was saying, we're in... Uh, We're in week three, and when you step into the shoes of another person, you know this. Uh, That's why we say, you know, don't judge till you walk a mile in their shoes. You learn a lot about that person. You learn a lot about yourself. But in this particular series, we're learning a lot about Jesus because we're stepping into the shoes of folks who had these close encounters with Jesus. So it's a very creative way to engage the scriptures. I can't remember a summer series that has been this engaging and there's so many comments that I've heard from folks about this series. And we're only in week three. The first week, we did flip-flops with who? John the baptizer. Flip-flops with John the baptizer. Last week, we did... Wing Tips with Nicodemus. It was a great message by Mike Bro. You can get both of those online. Today, today we're going to pull on a pair of work boots. And notice I said pull on. Work boots can be hard to put on. Have you noticed this? And sometimes they can be hard to take off. But we're going to put on these work boots today with a Roman centurion. 
And we're going to talk about a subject that is incredibly important. And we're going to talk about a word that all of you love. It's one of your favorite words. Submission. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's not one of our favorite words. We struggle with submission. And usually we struggle with it when it comes to talking about marriage, right? We struggle with submission. Um, but, but don't worry, this is not a message about marriage, but it is a message about submission. And to rightfully talk about submission, it is a message about authority. About authority. Hey, when I say the word authority, what kind of people come to your mind? Who, who do you run into who are in positions of authority? Security, oh, I'm gonna tell a story in just a little bit about security. Uh, a boss, uh, what else? What else comes to mind when I say the word authority? Maybe a principal? Parents, oh my Lord. Children, listen up. It's Father's Day, and the Bible says to obey your parents. Well, parents, you can thank me later. I'm totally off script right now, but kids, you are to obey your parents and you say why, number one, because we told you to. Number two, God's word says so. (laughs) But I'm way off track. Back to authority. Coaches have authority? Huh? Oh, pastors. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. Um, um, Governing authorities. Ooh. The IRS. Oh, why did you have to bring that up? This is going to be a fun service, I can tell. The Bible is very clear that we are to have an appropriate response with people in positions of authority. Now, let me be very, very clear. I I believe this in the marrow of my bones. If a person in authority tells you to do something that is contrary to the word of God, you always yield first to the word of God. You always follow this first. Sometimes that might mean that some of the greatest saints to have ever lived have been incarcerated because they put God's word first. But that doesn't happen a lot. So let me just state for the record, by and large, most of the time, even if we don't agree with what someone in authority says, hello, does, behaves, or whatever the case may be, we have to remember Romans 13, 1, and by the way, there's multiple verses of scripture about this very subject that say basically the same thing. Since you're so engaged with me today, read this with me. Ready? Go. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Everybody say, ouch. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, the NIV translation says, let everyone submit The word subject, submit there, same thing. Submit to governing authorities. Again, we shall never blindly follow. But for the most part, you and I are to live, here it is, here it is, with an attitude of submission to those who have been placed in positions of authority over us. The word submit means to voluntarily place yourself under. To voluntarily place yourself under. And again, I'm just being real with you today. And I'm admitting to you today that there are many times along the way where that is not easy. It is not easy to submit sometimes to people that you don't think are worthy of your submission. 
Maybe you got a speeding ticket one time. Mm. And you didn't think you deserved that speeding ticket. But you still had to sit. You still had to sit for six weeks. Six weeks in a traffic school class. I'm not saying whether or not that's ever happened to me. But I think you know that it did. Or it's time to pay the IRS, right? That unreasonably high tax bill. Or the umpire in a baseball game blows the call. Or a parent, listen young people, a parent sets some ridiculous curfew that you think you should not have to adhere to, right? Or some teacher gives you this unreasonable homework assignment all and all and all. I could go on and on and on. And the truth is the Bible tells me that I have to submit to people of authority. I mentioned, um, I mentioned being in a game the other day. Uh, I took my daughter to Atlanta this week, took a little road trip with her. She's got a summer job at KPMG in Atlanta, which is this really cool company. And if, if it goes well and they want to make her an offer, they might make her an offer to come back and that be her first job out of college. She graduates a year from now from, I know, the University of North Carolina. You people are ridiculous. Um, so we took a little road trip together and we took off down 85, right? We headed to Atlanta, had a great, great trip down there, um, moved her in. And then the very next day she went to work and I was staying around the day so I could go out on a date with my daughter that night. And so I was staying around that day and I went online and lo and behold, there was an Atlanta Braves baseball game at noon. So while she's working her first day at her new job, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the baseball game. And yes, I went all by myself. Call me a loser if you want, but hey, I, I had a good time. It was delightful. It was just me. And as I'm wait, making my way up to, the, up to the brand new Atlanta Braves baseball park, I saw this police officer who was laying into this spectator. I mean, all up in his grill, just yelling at him. You're gonna respect me. I demand your respect. And, and the dude that he was yelling at kept looking at him like this right here. And the more the officer yelled, the more the dude just smiled at the officer, which as you know, what made the officer that, that much angrier, right? And this thing went on and on and on. I thought about grabbing some popcorn and pulling up a chair. I was like, oh, it's about to go down right here. And I had this thought as I'm watching this deal go down, I'm like, listen, real authority, listen, if you're a leader or you're around authority environments or you're in the workplace or even at home, real authority is not so much about your position. It's about your disposition. It doesn't matter if you're at the top of the org chart or you're at the bottom of the org chart, far left or far right. Authority is not about your position. The culture will try to tell you it is, but it is not. It is about your disposition. And what I really wanted to stop and tell the police officer was, bro, if you just chill out a little bit, if you just change your disposition a little bit, you will get a lot farther with this spectator who's just smiling at you. And I know you want to slap that cheesy smile off his face, <laughs> but you need to check your disposition. And that got me thinking about just authority in general. Now you can go and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter seven because that's where we're going. But let me just unpack a little bit more on authority before we get there. The world works a certain way. Our culture works a certain way when it comes to authority. It is a very top-down 
authoritarian model, particularly here in the United States. And it would go like this. If I have authority over you, therefore I can hold you accountable to what I want you to do because you're supposed to submit, right? And I have authority and therefore you are accountable to me. If you perform the right way, if you do a good job, if I'm truly in a position of authority over you, then I can reward you. I can affirm you, affirmation. I can give you some verbal affirmation. I can write you a card. I can send you and your spouse out on a date. I can give you a raise, promotion, more vacation, etc. I can affirm you. And then perhaps, perhaps you'll feel accepted. Now, I'll let you take that up with your therapist as to whether or not you really are accepted. But this is the model. This is the top-down, worldly model of authority. You know it well. You've grown up on it. That's no surprise to you. Have you ever thought, though, about how Jesus tackles authority? Because Jesus, the one who had the ultimate authority in this world, actually took this model, this is gonna blow your mind, and he turned it on its head. Jesus was not embracing or suggesting that we embrace a top-down model of authority. Instead, Jesus starts at the bottom. Check this out. Jesus always began with accepting people where they were based merely not on their performance, based merely on the fact that they had intrinsic value as a human being. You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's a good assignment for you this summer. Why don't you read the Gospels this summer and read it through the lens of authority? Jesus always, and I mean always, accepted people right where they are, created in the image of God. He then, watch this, affirmed them. He affirmed their worth and their dignity. And when they knew that they were unconditionally accepted and affirmed as a person of great price, then they were open to accountability and recognized, even voluntarily, ultimately surrendered to his authority. Jesus takes the whole model of authority and he turns it on its head. And you can see when you force external accountability through threats, and this is the way of the world, through intimidation, people don't respond. People will not follow your leadership if that's how you lead. And I don't know, but maybe that's a good word for some of you parents to hear today. Dads, it's Father's Day. How you lead your children make all the difference in the world. And nobody, and you want to put an example out in front of you, nobody embraced and modeled authoritative leadership like Jesus did. Jesus taught this sermon in Matthew's gospel, greatest sermon ever delivered. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that? Matthew 5 through 7. And what's interesting is at the end of Matthew 5 through 7, at the end of the sermon, this is what... This is what the word says. After Jesus finished speaking, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he taught as one who had, help me out church, one who had what? Real authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. There are no examples 
in the Gospels where Jesus demanded respect. None. There's no example in the New Testament where Jesus demanded that he was a person of authority. No, 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 no. Jesus teaches us that real authority doesn't work that way. It works from the bottom up. And that takes us to Luke 7. And we're gonna read a story and we're gonna follow this work boot wearing dude that has this encounter with Jesus. And by the time we're done with this text today, I pray that we leave here uh, more fully understanding authority, more fully embracing submission to God's authority, and we walk out of here changed today. Can I get an amen? amen. Luke chapter seven. I love your heart today and your energy. Luke seven, one through two. Here we go. Here's what the Bible says. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There's a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. Time out. Let me tell you a little bit about the Roman centurion. Just a little explanation here. This was a guy who understood military rank. This was a Roman military officer who we know ranked somewhere between a colonel and a lieutenant, most likely a captain. This guy understood authority. This guy had made his way through the ranks. He was a centurion, which means he had no less than 100 soldiers who were reporting to him. Thus, that's why we call him the centurion. He oversaw a lot of people. He knew chain of command. He knew authority. And he's about to teach us something incredibly profound as he encounters Jesus along the way. Verse three, here we go. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. Listen closely. If you got your Bibles open, underline this. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Time out again. This is really cool if you think about the context of the scriptures. The people of Palestine really, really hated Roman occupation. They, they hated Roman domination. And yet in this passage, we see a respect for this centurion. They call this centurion a good man. They say he deserves Jesus for you to heal his servant. And I think verse two gives us a little insight into the man's character. There's a centurion servant, the word says, whom his master valued highly, who was sick and about to die. Again, time out, think about the context. In this day and age, the servants, the slaves were seen as property, not people. They had value only to the extent to which they were useful. They were seen as disposable property, but not so with the work boot wearing Roman centurion. He valued the servant. He respected the servant. He, he knew something about that upside down model of authority. The word is intimos, intimos. It means dear or precious or valuable. Everybody say intimos. You're a Greek scholar, just like that. Bam, there you go. 
It's the word from which we get our word intimate. So the Roman centurion was intimate with his servant, his slave. He, he considered him valuable. He esteemed him. Back to the scriptures, verse six and seven. Here we go. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But watch this. But just say the word and what, church? My servant will, do you see it? The Roman centurion comes to Jesus. His servant is home about to die. It's supposed to be just seen as disposable property. He values his servant. And the centurion says to Jesus, listen, you don't even have to go in person. I respect you so much. I believe in your authority so much. I submit myself to your authority. Jesus, just say the word. Just say the word and he will be healed. Verse eight, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he does what church? He goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Notice this blue collar work boot wearing man doesn't just say, I know authority. In fact, I'm kind of a big deal, right? I have a hundred people who report to me. No, he says, I understand authority. But because I understand authority, I'm a man under authority as well. Key point, this is what he's saying. If I am who I am, and people do what I tell them to do, then you being who you are, Jesus, will have no problem just speaking the word. Lord, just speak the word and it will happen. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. This is, this is incredible. Verses nine through 10, you're gonna see a side of Jesus, an emotion maybe that you've never seen in the scriptures before. Here we go. When Jesus heard this, he was, what was that word right there? He was, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Let's continue. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Now, don't miss this cool ending to the story. Jesus was absolutely amazed at this man's submission to authority and this man's belief that in Jesus' word, there is power. Did you hear me? In Jesus' word, there is power. Just like the centurion believed that it could happen. So as Luke was writing, he wanted to make sure we knew that Jesus does have that kind of power. If you believe it, let me hear an amen. There's power in the word of Jesus. But check this out. As awesome as that is, that's not the main takeaway from this encounter. If you read through the Gospels, and again, I hope you will this summer, just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
If you read through the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus experienced a wide range of emotions. Most of us don't picture Jesus this way. We picture him as kind of an emotionless deity who floats around, I don't know, on the clouds or something. It's not what he did. Wide range of emotions. For example, Jesus had unbelievable sympathy for a man who had leprosy. He was excited about the success of his disciples. Jesus had blasts of anger, blasts of anger at cold-hearted legalists. Huh. Which gives me a chance to say, if you are a cold-hearted legalist, mm, 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 mm. joy in the presence of little kids, disappointment. Jesus exuded disappointment over an unrepentant Jerusalem. Heart-wrenching grief over the death of a close friend by the name of Lazarus. You got it. Three times he cries. Anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross. Jesus had emotions in the gospel. And this is my point. We stumble today upon one of only two times in the scriptures that Jesus was amazed. One of only two. Once it's a negative connotation, today it's a positive. Let me show you this. Mark 6, 6, the Bible says this. Why don't you read this out loud with me, church, at all of our campuses. Ready? Go. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Good job. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Negative. But he was amazed. The other time is positive. There's only two, again, in the New Testament. Two. And this today, what we see. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. The word is thamazu. Thamazu. It means to marvel. To be struck with admiration. To be impressed. Now here's a thought. Isn't it cool? I love this. Isn't it cool to think, that the one who designed chromosomes and photosynthesis and beaches and flowers and penguins and zebras and snowflakes and human anatomy and galaxies, galaxies, can still be amazed. And you know what amazes him? When a man or a woman or a child or a student is humble enough, humble enough to submit to the authority of God's word. That is what amazes Jesus. And I can only assume because you are in church today that you would be very interested in the thing that amazes God. Agreed? Agreed? I mean, there's a lot of things you could have been doing today. It's Father's Day. You could have been out playing golf. You could have been at the lake. You could have been at graduation. Got graduation going on this weekend. You could have done a number of things today, but you came to church. That tells me something about you. Way to go. You came to church to hear this real important truth. One of the things that amazes God, one of the few examples in scripture that we see Jesus amazed was when he truly encounters a humble human being who submits to the authority of God's word. 
Isaiah made it so clear way before Jesus even came. This is the way of God. Out loud, ready, go. This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We just sang that song earlier, didn't we? Tremble. You make the darkness what? His word is power. Can I get an amen? At the word of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. There is power in the word of God. And Isaiah was telling us a long time ago, God esteems those who are humble and contrite in spirit. I put it like this. God esteems. God is impressed. God is amazed by the same thing. Those who are humble, surrendered, and recognize the authority of God's word. This is what this boot-wearing Roman centurion teaches us. There's power in the word of God. Say that with me. There's power in the word of God. One more time. There's power in the word of God. If you know the scriptures, God spoke. To the universe, God spoke, let there be light. To the leper, God spoke, be clean. To a paralyzed guy, God spoke, take up your mat and walk. To a raging sea, peace be still. To a man who had been dead for days, Lazarus, come out. And I love how Beth Moore puts it. She says this, and I'm a big Beth Moore fan, by the way. Beth Moore says this, Christ's word is action. Agreed? What he commands, he accomplishes. Agreed? But watch this. That's a fact. What impresses Christ, however, is when we believe it's a fact. When we believe it's a fact, that his word commands, that there's authority and power in his word. But you do know this, don't you? You and I can say all day long, we believe there's authority in this book. We believe there's power in God's word. We can say that from sun up till sundown, but it does nothing for my life until and only when I hear it and I obey it. The book of James says, faith without works, without action, is what, church? It's dead. So the Roman centurion teaches us that God's word has power. Jesus was amazed at this man's faith. And it reminds me of our mission statement. What's our mission statement, church? What's our mission? Reach, teach, and release. Say it with me. Reach, teach, release. One more time. Reach, teach, and release. But do you know the mission statement? We all know those three words. They're on the front of all of our campuses. But watch this. Read this out loud with me. Ready? Go. We exist to reach people with the hope of Jesus Christ Teach them to follow God's word and release world changers. You did good. You did good, but you just did good. That's the mission statement. I want you to, I want you to bring a little more energy to the table. And I also just want you to read it again because you need to put this to memory if this is your church home. You need to put this to memory. Like I said, we all know the three words, but this is, the, this is what it looks like for those three words to be unpacked on the count of three. One, two, three, go. We exist to reach people with the hope of Jesus Christ. Teach them to follow God's word and release world changers. Now, Luke 7 and the Roman centurion, part three of this series, it camps out right here. Teach them to, to what? Follow. 
Teach them to obey, follow God's word. And what I've been learning more and more these days is there is a big difference between humility and surrender. Between humility and surrender. Have you noticed this before? Humility and surrender are common threads in the story seen in the past couple of weeks. If you just think about where we've been so far. John the baptizer, he must increase and I must what? Decrease. Nicodemus, a wingtip wearing elite, humbles himself and sees Jesus all the way to the grave where he anointed Jesus' body with myrrh and alloy. But as we continue this series, we're going to see this connection, if you will, between humility and surrender. Between humility and what, church? Surrender. As we continue the series, you will notice that there's this theme that keeps bubbling up. And you might ask why. And so let me go ahead and answer that on the front end. Humility and surrender to God is what enables you to see and experience true greatness in your life. Humility and surrender. There is a huge difference between surrender and commitment. I'll unpack that in just a moment, but I don't know about you. I've known a lot of people who have self-destructed their life because they were unable to humble themselves. Agreed? I know a lot of people who have been so obsessed with self, they put themselves on the throne, they take God, they remove God, God's not on the throne position in my life, I'm on the throne position in my life, and it's only a matter of time before they self-destruct and actually destroy and hurt people around them. Um, one of my kids, I'm not, I'm not gonna say his name. I know usually when I say that, I then usually say his name. But like for real today, I'm not gonna say his name. Um, but one of my kids, when he, when he got, I mean, he was small. He just, he just, he, he, he just started talking. Uh, for some reason, one of the first words that came out of his mouth, I'm not making this up, is um, these words. I the master. <laughs> I kid you not. And so he'd walk around the house. I the master. I the master. A little Napoleon or something, man. And, uh, and I was like, dude, I mean, that is like, that's the carnal flesh right there in, in, our, in our midst. And, and, then, and then we had it, we had his little brother. And you know how some kids can be when they have a little sibling. They, they, don't, they don't like that. But we were trying to celebrate the moment, so we took him to the hospital, and we popped him up on the window, you know the window, right, where you look in and you see all those cute little babies, and they got those little wristbands around those fat little chubby uh, wrists, and he looks at his little brother and goes, I the master! <laughs> so, so, you know, we knew, we knew early on that our job with this one was to help him understand that the carnal nature is strong in him, number one. Number two, he ain't the master. <laughs> There's only one master, right? And so, but when you think about it, when you think about it, that, that is the tendency of all of us. Come on. On our bad days, you know that we all have this tendency to be selfish. Can I get a witness? We all have this tendency to be self-centered, and I don't know, in a group this size, or maybe at one of the campuses, or maybe you're watching this online, you've, you've been in recovery groups like me. If you know my story way back, a long time ago, if you're new around here, don't worry, I wasn't in recovery last week. Uh, 
<laughs> this was 30 years ago. Um, but if you've been in recovery, you know, and, and I don't know why this came to my mind this week, there's this, there's this great saying, <coughs> excuse me, in the big book, in Alcoholics Anonymous, and it says this, <coughs> excuse me, selfishness and self-centeredness, we think, is the root of our troubles. And to get well, we had to quit playing God. We all have this carnal proclivity for being selfish, self-absorbed, and playing God. And what Luke chapter seven teaches us, it teaches us a valuable lesson that if you wanna experience the greatness of God in your life, are you listening? And if you want to amaze God, think about that. You want to amaze God. Take yourself off the throne, put Jesus Christ in the throne position of your life, submit to his authority, submit to his word, and you will see the greatness of God fall in your life. Now, now, now listen, at a time like this, here's what some of you will automatically start to do. Well, today I'm just gonna commit to God. I'm gonna commit, I'm gonna grip my teeth, I'm gonna grind it out. And again, the Lord just laid it upon my heart today to make sure you understand there is a difference between surrender and commitment. And here's the key difference. Come on, you know this is true. Commitment, if I'm not careful, will have Benji wrapped all up in it, right? I'm gonna commit to that exercise regimen. I'm gonna commit to not put that in my mouth. I'm gonna commit to not let that come out of my mouth. I'm gonna commit my resolve, my grind, my tenacity. That's not what the Roman centurion teaches us. He teaches us to surrender. Surrender to the authority of God. Dan Webster put it like this in his book, The Real Deal. He said, commitment challenges us to a higher level of determination. Surrender causes us to yield the soul to God's higher purposes. Commitment is saying that I will do better. Surrender is giving up and allowing God to do his work through me. Commitment is my best effort. Surrender is God's competency working through me. Commitment is me trying Commit, surrender is me what, church? Trusting. Commitment is me striving. Surrender is me submitting. Commitment, I love this last one. Commitment is writing big, impressive verbal checks. Surrender unleashes the grace that can actually cash them. So today, what I want to do more than anything <clears throat> is invite you to surrender your life to God. Yeah. Whatever area you're dealing with today, and again, I can only imagine, I don't know the stuff you're dealing with, and you don't know the stuff I'm dealing with. But whatever it is you're facing today, be it in a relationship, be it in parenting, it is Father's Day, 
be it in the work world that you live in, the social world that you live in, whatever it is that you're facing today, here's the message of Luke chapter seven. Open up your hands, open up your heart and surrender to God. Learn what God's word says about the situation that you're facing and then act upon God's word. Surrender, humility and surrender. I say it like this, last few things I wanna put up here. Humility and surrender allows God the freedom to both direct and correct my life. It allows him the freedom to stretch me. It allows him the freedom to transform you. It allows him the freedom to take unhealthy thinking and get it out of your mind, unhealthy feelings and get it out of your heart. Last thing I'll say is this, the greatness of a person is in direct proportion to their measure of, say it with me, surrender. So I wanna invite you today to surrender. To surrender to the authority of God's word. And I wanna do so by having us sing an old song. Man, it's a classic. This, some, of the, some of you are gonna sing this and the memories are just gonna come flooding. The song goes like this. I... <laughs> You're amazing. I surrender just a little bit. I surrender just Sundays. I surrender just some of my relationships. No, no, no. I surrender, you got it, all. All to him, my precious Savior. I surrender all. And so we're going to end today. It's going to feel a little different. I know we normally end all upbeat and celebratory. That's not how we're ending today. But I'm going to tell you something. This is already holy ground. I believe this ground is holy. I believe God set this ground out from the beginning of creation. He knew in the beginning of time that we'd be sitting here in June 2019. He knew that this would be New Hope's post. And he knew about that for all of our campuses. But you want to know what takes this to a whole nother level? is when God's people who are sitting here truly and genuinely surrender their lives to God. And so as we sing this song, I'm actually gonna invite you to do so. You don't have to. Nobody's gonna force you to do anything and you can worship, man, you can worship God just like this if you want. But man, when we sing this song on surrender, I'm gonna invite you to just take your hands and open them up. Palms towards heaven or the universal sign of surrender and just raise your hands to God something powerful happens when our physical gesture matches up with the words we sing will you pray with me Father God I pray that you would move mightily in this moment God, if I know anything, I know that we all come on Sundays and we bring a lot of stuff, a lot of junk here because life is hard, life is messy. And God, if I know anything else, I know that so much of the Christian experience for a lot of people 
for a lot of people who are hearing me right now, it's about grinding. It's about striving. It's about gritting it out. It's about trying to be more and more committed. And it's about me, me, me trying. And God, I thank you that you've been teaching me lately that that's really not where it's at, especially in a message like this. Instead of striving, instead of gritting, instead of grinding and being let down at myself so many times, God, today we're just going to surrender. And Lord, I pray that as a result of this message that we will get up tomorrow and the next day. And whenever we start trying to commit more and do more and say yes and do this and do that, Lord, that we'll just actually start to try something different. That from the moment we wake up and at various times throughout the day, Lord, we'll just say, oh God, I surrender. I surrender to your way, not my way. God, in this relationship, I don't know what to do. Seems to be falling apart. So I'm just gonna surrender to you and your word. God, I don't know what to do in this work situation. I can't stand my boss. But Lord, I'm just gonna surrender. I'm gonna surrender to their authority. God, I can't stand some of these governing officials and I don't know how any of this could be of you, but God, I, I need your help because I can't do it on my own. And so I just surrender. Not a little bit, Lord, but I actually surrender all. And I pray, oh God, that you would give me the right respect and authority for your word, that when your word speaks, even when it feels contrary to everything inside of me, even when I think I know better, God, I'm going to surrender and I'm going to follow your word. And in doing so, oh God, I, I pray that that blesses you, even amazes you in light of Luke 7. And I pray that you would unleash your greatness and your glory in my life. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.